Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The latest from 7 News with Michael Usher. Good evening and welcome. Tonight, the Foreign Minister moments away from arriving in Europe for a crucial NATO meeting. Breaking down the petrol price drop, the savings and, will it last? New research on pain in babies and what medics have been missing, new signs for parents. Fascinating Australian research. And we'll take you live to London for the verdict in Ed Sheeran's copyright fight over one of his big hits. But first tonight, the Foreign Minister, as we just said, is moments away from landing in Brussels for a key NATO meeting on the war in Ukraine. Let's go live to our Europe Bureau Chief, Hugh Whitfeld, who's stationed in Kyiv for us. Hugh, good evening. So what are we expecting from these talks? Michael Maurice Payne will be meeting foreign ministers, fellow foreign ministers from NATO countries and partner nations like Australia. Of course, Australia isn't a member of NATO, but we do get invited to meetings like this on occasions. Uh, there will be two key parts of these talks. The first one is aid and the second is sanctions. The White House expected to announce uh, very soon uh, fresh sanctions against Moscow, targeting Russia's largest bank and also Vladimir Putin's children as well. Of course, there is an effort to try and make this a united front from the West when it comes to those sanctions. And in terms of aid, well, this country is going need a lot of help to get back on its feet when this war is eventually over and we're already seeing the sort of rebuilding that's going to need to take place in some of these parts of the country that are already liberated. Hugh, let's talk about the actual fighting and the war in Ukraine itself and an urgent hands to the east. Yes, yeah, so Luhansk uh, down in the Donbass, Donetsk and Luhansk, those two uh, Ukrainian uh, provinces essentially that were uh, taken over by Russian-backed separatists back in 2014. There's been a war there the whole time since then. Now there is a concern that as Russia has withdrawn from the areas around the capital here, that the focus from Moscow will be shifted down to that eastern part of Ukraine to try and take more ground down there. The Ukrainians are expecting that to happen in the coming days, and they are trying to open up humanitarian corridors out of Luhansk in particular uh, so that civilians can get out. There is a lot of people trying to get to train stations in places like Kramatorsk, which are currently controlled, currently controlled by Ukraine. Uh, and of course, the fear is that the fighting there is only going to intensify, that it's going to get so much worse. Now, Ukraine's top prosecutors are, are reporting today that they say they're going through, <laughs> Hugh, almost four and a half thousand alleged war crimes, and they have new evidence of atrocities in Butcher. Uh, terrible things have happened there. What have their investigations found? And you've been seeing all this firsthand as well, Hugh, in your tours of the area. Yeah, well, look, these war crimes obviously mainly relate to what Russians are alleged to have done to civilians. Thousands of incidents of uh, episodes like explosions and debris that uh, have killed people caused by missile strikes or artillery fire. We've seen that in towns 
Putin and uh, Borodyanka as well. Uh, the President uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, when he addressed the UN Security Council yesterday, spoke about the torture of civilians, the execution with automatic weapons of civilians in these towns, uh, and said that uh, some of the bodies had been dismembered. They are horrific crimes. Uh, and Zelensky said that uh, it is the worst case of war crimes since the Second World War. And I fear, as you say, yeah. that we're only going to see uh, far more uh, uncovered as the Russians uh, are pushed back. You, you mentioned the President Zelensky there talking uh, to the UN, but he was very, very scathing about the UN. Yeah, look, he's been scathing of NATO and he's been scathing of the UN. And this was a, quite a remarkable speech that Volodymyr Zelensky gave to the Security Council because Russia has a permanent seat on the UN Security Council. They have a veto. And that is what is clearly blocking a lot of the possible action that could be taken by the Security Council when it comes to punishing Russia for what they've done here. They've got China as a fellow permanent member as well. China hasn't spoken out at all at the UN about what Russia has been doing. So the UN is effectively blocked from doing anything. Uh, and Zelensky was saying, if you can't do anything, you may as well disband. Mm. You may, may as well all go home. What is the purpose of the Security Council if you're not going to do anything? Can they kick Russia off the UN Security Council? No, because all five of the permanent members need to agree. And Russia's one of them, Michael. He's got a very good point. Hugh Whitfield there in Kiev for us. Thank you. Let's go straight to Parliament House and political reporter Jennifer Beshwadi is there for us. Jen, good evening. The opposition leader has just made a big call on the war in Ukraine. That's right, Michael. Labor is tonight calling for the Morrison government to expel Russian diplomats given the recent atrocities by Russian forces in Ukraine. Recently, EU countries, including Italy, Germany and France, have taken steps to expel 206 diplomats from their countries while allowing the ambassadors to stay. Labor wants Australia to follow suit. Now, the Foreign Affairs Minister, Maurice Payne, has said that this matter is under constant review, but opposition leader Anthony Albanese he says that it's hard to conceive how these individuals have been allowed to stay in Australia, particularly given the recent revelations of war crimes being committed, those uh, mass killings of innocent civilians and the use of rape as a weapon mm. of war be immediate diplomatic consequences and these individuals, these diplomats in Australia must be kicked out of the country immediately. We'll wait and see what the federal government has to say about this tomorrow, Michael. S strong call by the opposition leader. Mm. Now, Jen, another hurdle tonight for the Prime Minister before he can even call the election. Yeah, that's right, Michael. The um, uh, New South Wales State Executive member who lodged that appeal or that court challenge uh, against uh, Scott Morrison's captain picks uh, for uh, candidates in seats in New South Wales has now lodged an appeal with the High Court. Matthew Kamenzuli is challenging the validity uh, of candidates in 11 seats, uh, which branch members. Now, the New South Wales Court of Appeal, as I mentioned, dis uh, dismissed Mr Kamenzoli's application yesterday, so he's taking it to the High Court. Uh, it's understood a motions hearing uh, will be held here in Canberra at 1.30pm tomorrow, but 
the drama continues, Michael, because I understand that Matthew Kamenzuli has tonight been expelled from the Liberal Party given his recent court challenges. So I don't know whether this complicates things. I'm sure it does. And it's the last thing that the uh, Prime Minister yeah. needs at the, uh, the on the eve of an election. Yeah. Uh, as for when that election will be called, well, we got a better understanding today, Michael. We know it definitely won't be called tomorrow. Uh, but as Seven News reported yesterday, all signs point to the election being called on Sunday and Australia Australians will likely head to the polls at the latest possible date, and that will be May 21. Bit of a messy bit of housekeeping for the Liberals yeah. to uh, sort out before then, isn't there? All right, Jen, thanks for that in Canberra. Looking ahead to tomorrow when large parts of New South Wales are going to be hit with torrential rainfall, possibly up to two months' worth in a day. Our reporter Bill Hogan's out amongst it all, where it's been pretty bad. Bill, good evening to you. So what are the warnings from the Bureau as we go to air? Well, Michael, this weather system spans from Gosford all the way to Bega, but the concern tonight is the Illawarra and Shaven region where the rain is beginning to intensify and there is concern for flash flooding. Now, tomorrow the Bureau has predicted that up to 140 millimetres of rain will fall every six hours in some coastal towns, which has the SES uh, quite concerned. That weather system will then move north to Greater Sydney, as well as to the central coast and up into the Hunter. Now, the concern is the water, the amount of heavy rain that is going to fall on already saturated grounds, as well as creeks and waterways that are already at capacity. There is real concern that there will be serious flooding in those areas. There's also concern for debris, a lot of this road uh, could fall away. The SES have issued a warning to drivers to avoid driving if you can um, and avoid going down into floodwaters of course if you can as well. Now there is some relief though Michael, we are told that this weather system will start to weaken by Friday it will still be very wet but it should begin to clear up just before the weekend. That's Michael. what we want to hear. All right, Bill Hogan in Wollongong tonight, thank you. And just in from on Ed Sheeran's copyright lawsuit over these songs. was the comparison of the two songs in our Europe correspondent Sarah Greenwich is following the case from near the High Court in London. So Sarah, hello to you. What was the outcome? Michael, good evening. Well, the judge in this case has just ruled that Ed Sheeran did not copy or plagiarise that second song uh, when he created his hit song, Shape of You. Ed Sheeran was accused by this guy called Sam Chokri. He's a British rhyme artist who said that there were striking similarities between his song, OY, which was released without very much fanfare in 2015, and that particular Ed Sheeran's song. I'm glad you've played it because it means I don't have to sing it. It's that <laughs> OI part there. And this led to this 11-day trial here in London. And so both sides called in forensic musicologists. They were called up onto the stand to examine both songs to say whether they thought they were similar. Ed Sheeran himself was on the stand. He was singing parts of other songs to uh, justify that most songs do sound similar if you really analyse them. Uh, he was also accused of being a musical magpie for habitually copying other people's songs. And it must be said that there is some history here. Back in 2017, Ed Sheeran did settle a massive $20 million US dollar uh, case, another copyright infringement case in the US. 
United States. But in this case, the judge has said that it is purely coincidental, the similarities in this song. Uh, he said that Ed Sheeran didn't even know about this other song, Oh Why, when he wrote the hit back in 2016. And the 31-year-old has just responded to the uh, result. He has released a video on his Twitter and Instagram. Take a listen. Whilst we're obviously happy with the result, I feel like claims like this are way too common now and have become a culture where a claim is made with the idea that a settlement will be cheaper than taking it to court, even if there's no base for the claim. It's really damaging to the songwriting industry. There's only so many notes and very few chords used in pop music. Coincidence is bound to happen if 60,000 songs are being released every day on Spotify. That's 22 million songs a year and there's only 12 notes that are available. During these legal proceedings, Michael, the judge did acknowledge that there were not only going to be financial repercussions if Sheeran lost this case, but his reputation uh, was at stake. If he was defeated, then others would have been emboldened to make similar claims. So he has won, uh, and this song is such a big hit. It was the number one song here in the UK back in 2017, and it remains the most streamed song ever on Spotify, and it is very catchy. I think I'll be singing it for the rest of the day. <laughs> You've heard enough of it today. <laughs> All right, you've got an earworm for the song now. Sarah Greenolds there in London. Thank you. I want to take you next to our Chief League reporter, Michelle Bishop, with a newsroom. Michelle, so we're talking about a rising player in trouble with the law tonight. What details do you have? Well, Taylor has been a revelation for the club, for the Panthers. He's been their point-scoring machine. He is the younger brother of former Panther Tyro May. Now, he's been charged with assault, occasion, bodily harm, a very serious charge that carries a prison term of seven years. It relates to an incident that happened on the Sunshine Coast after last year's grand final win over South. Now, of course, Taylor didn't play in that game, but he was very much part of the Panthers squad at the time. It's alleged he assaulted another patron at a nightclub at Ocean Street Maroochydore. The club say they told the NRL Integrity Unit about the incident at the time and conducted their own investigation and implemented their own disciplinary measures as well. Now the 20-year-old is due to face court in May but he is eligible to continue to play uh, to be selectors for the Panthers until that time. Yeah, a cloud over a club that's absolutely on fire at the moment. Michelle Bishop, thank you for that. Thanks Marsh. And former AFL player Brennan Stack is remaining behind bars tonight after a judge saw footage of his alleged attack on, attack rather, on two women. Let's go to Rochelle Brown, who's live in Melbourne tonight. Rochelle, good evening to you. What can you tell us? Michael, a magistrate refused to free the former Bulldogs player today after watching the confronting security footage for the very see in the video two women start to punch each other and pull each other's hair and then two men start to get involved. One of those men in the black t-shirt is alleged to be Brennan Stack. You can see him punch one woman and then set upon another hitting her twice. The brutality continues for several minutes with Stack's co-accused also getting involved. It all unfolded in a car park next to a Perth nightclub on March 20 and it's believed to have started after two car doors hit each other. Police have described the incident as sickening and vicious. Obviously, the victims were left quite visibly shaken, battered and bruised from the ordeal. Stack and his co-accused will now remain behind bars. The magistrate saying that it was far too serious of an ordeal yeah. to grant bail. Michael? All right, Rochelle Brown reporting there. Thank you. Next to a major blunder by Queensland police, our Murphy's live in Brisbane. Uh, ben, this was related to domestic violence training. 
Yeah, good evening, Michael. Quite an embarrassing mistake by Queensland police using a silhouette image of Adolf Hitler in their domestic violence training, specifically the training about coercive control. Now, how did this all come to be? Well, police were looking for a graphic to use in their document and in their training, which depicts a police officer talking to a suspected victim of domestic violence and police had to issue a statement today explaining it all and they say that the training group involved used a piece of software called Canva. It's a little bit like Photoshop and essentially in that tool they searched for a police officer silhouette and this image came up and of course it seems not knowing that it was actually an image of Hitler. They've inserted it into the training package, certainly not the sort of thing you want to see in domestic violence training. Police say that they have now removed the image from their training modules. That is a blunder and a half. All right, Ben Murphy there in Brisbane. Thank you. We are seeing petrol prices starting to fall around the country, but by how much, where you live and what's actually driving the dip. To explain all this, Network Finance Editor Gem Acton joins me now. Jim, uh, good evening to you. So prices, they seem to be coming down. Is that because the Treasurer cut the excise? Well, they're certainly coming down. They're coming down by around 27% on average in Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. That's uh, since the Treasurer cut the excise last week. About 31 cents in Adelaide, 35 in Perth, and a bit less in Hobart, closer to 20%. Uh, but no, we can't attribute all of that to the fuel excise cut. That's certainly part of the picture but only part of the picture. All right, so what's happening with the prices then? Well, there are really four main factors that we're looking at now. One is the cut to fuel excise, which is a, a cut of 22.1% uh, until September the 28th, and that kicked in immediately at midnight last Tuesday after the budget. The biggest factor, though, is wholesale oil prices or global oil prices feeding through to wholesale. That's been trending lower since the 9th of March. Usually it only takes a week or two weeks to feed through to the Bowser, uh, but for some reason a retailer sat on that, those drops, and so we've been getting that a bit later. Just in the last week we've seen those price falls feed through. Right. Uh, another factor is uh, petrol price cycles. All of the capital cities in Australia operate on price cycles, which is just prices go up for a while and then they go down for a while at the retailer level. All of the capital cities at the moment are in a downtrend right. with regards to price cycles. Another factor is the Australian dollar. That's been strengthening and we pay for the fuel in US dollars. So our money's just going further. So four tailwinds, effectively, of which fuel excise cut is one. I guess it begs the question then, did the Treasurer need to cut the fuel excise? Uh, depends on who you ask. Uh, yeah. Certainly it gave instantaneous relief um, because people could implement it straight away and that's what we really needed. You'll see there was a lot of protests from all sorts of uh, bodies associated with uh, motoring. For instance, the Trucking Association have come out really heavily against it. Uh, economists don't really like it either. For different reasons. Economists don't really like it because it's not particularly targeted or they think it doesn't necessarily help the people who need the help the most. Uh, the other problem which we're just seeing is it can get completely lost in other movements uh, that are happening. Yeah. And a question is, if oil prices start to rise again, if the petrol, when the petrol retail cycle starts heading higher again, if the Aussie dollar weakens, so all those forces start going against it, the fuel excise cut will be completely lost in, in, in yeah. that. And so um, difficult to see what, what people will oh, well, gain from it. For now, anyway, motorists can enjoy the I cheaper we'll prices. I think we'll take anything we can yeah, get exactly at the moment. Right. All right, Jim, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We have details tonight on a world-first study that all new parents should pay attention to. Australian scientists have come up with new criteria to tell if babies are in pain, even if they aren't showing it. Dr Emre Ilhan from Macquarie University carried out the research of children one year and under in neonatal intensive care. He joins us in the studio now. Emre, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So is it fair to assume that babies would cry or scream if they're in agony? But that, that's not always the case, though. Is that what you're finding? Our study was based in the neonatal intensive care unit. So usually um, these babies, because they're so critically ill, uh, they tend to be so sick they can't cry um, or, you know, they might be premature so they haven't developed the motor skills to actually cry. Mainly we rely on uh, different behavioural cues such, such as crying, um, but if that's not available we look at other things like facial expressions, body movement, um, the tone in their muscles. Um, other than that, there are other cues that are also important and they're very relevant to premature babies. So physiological measures such as heart rate, breathing rate, um, blood pressure. And they're all able to tell you that the child may be, the baby may be in pain. There's just a different way of measuring it from what we're used to detecting, you know, a baby crying, for example, or some sort of sound. Yeah, so the issue is, um, how do you distinguish pain from hunger? Yes. Um, it's a and challenge for many parents with babies. Definitely. Sick or otherwise. Definitely. Yeah. And especially in the NICU where babies are exposed to a lot of noise and a lot of other medical procedures. So we have to find very systematic, objective ways to measure pain, to say, yes, that baby has pain. Mm. No, that baby is um, hungry or um, a little bit stressed. Just putting a, a underscoring what the criteria would be now to detect pain. What are the key points? What are the new things that, that, that practitioners can actually look out for, even parents? If a child isn't crying, but they're in pain, what, do they, what can they measure instead? Um, in the neonatal intensive care unit, yeah, the signs um, such as, you know, um, not interacting with their caregiver, um, not eating properly, uh, sleeplessness, um, all these variables are very important to, to recognise. And uh, clinicians are very good at detecting it using um, validated assessments. Yeah. What happens when a baby's unknowingly exposed to repeated intense pain without relief? It might not have been detected properly. That's a very good question. Uh, there's been research coming out since the mid-90s and there's even research coming out even now suggesting that unrelieved pain in babies in the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit, can result in things like anxiety, depression, um, hypersensitivity to pain later in life, as well as um, delays in uh, the development of important skills like moving around, language, cognition. So we're talking about pain and, and, and different criteria detecting pain, but what about pain relief? Yes, so there is a lot of um, pain relief strategies that we could use in the NICUs. Um, in addition to, you know, morphine, fentanyl, paracetamol, um, other methods, non-pharmacological methods, are as effective, if not more effective, for treating acute pain. And these include things like breastfeeding or skin-to-skin -skin contact, so putting... Um, 
uh, a mother's baby on her skin during a painful procedure um, has been shown to be effective at relieving pain in babies. There are other things as well, like um, sucking a dummy, um, even giving some sugar water. Right. Yeah. So it was things that would seem so simple and so natural, but can be of huge relief. Simple yet effective. And they're actually being underutilised. Um, it's uh, new research is coming out and uh, a lot of NICUs are starting to adopt these practices um, more regularly. It's a bit heartbreaking to think that, that quite a few babies in, many babies would have been going through pain without it really being known. It wasn't until the mid-80s uh, babies were actually getting any pain relief. Um, so a famous case was um, before 1987, um, babies were undergoing major cardiac surgery without any pain relief. Goodness me. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's um, very heartbreaking. Nowadays, um, NICUs, neonatal intensive care units, um, do a very good job at managing pain as much as they can. But obviously, um, some babies go under the radar. Um, you know, they have very severe conditions or they're born very premature. So the, the detection of pain yeah. in, in these babies can be quite difficult. It's interesting. A lot of parents will be watching this with a lot of interest as well and, and no doubt the medical community as well. Uh, Dr Ilhan, thank you for coming in. Thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you for your company this evening. From all the team here at 7 News, that is the latest. I'm Michael Usher. Have a good night. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.